0: on this episode of Business Interrupted.
1: There is no one correct way to do it. There are the best way for the culture and for the organization and for the objectives. And if I had known that earlier in my career, I think I could have been more effective earlier in identifying maybe a better way of making the organization prepared.
0: Business as usual is challenged every day. It's not about if disruption occurs, it's when. On this original show from Castellon Solutions, we're learning from the world's best leaders so you can be ready for whatever comes next. I'm your host, Cheyenne Marling. For most BC practitioners, the responsibility of maintaining business operations in a crisis falls solely on their shoulders. If something goes wrong, it's on them. The first problem with this approach is it's not scalable. And second, you, the BC practitioner, are constantly trying to get buy-in from the stakeholders in the business, which can often be accompanied by eye rolls and exasperated looks. So what if there's a better way? For Scott Baldwin, head of enterprise resilience at Netflix, that better way is to transfer responsibility for the organization's resilience to the actual stakeholders the BC team then becomes a resource to train and equip the stakeholders instead of begging them to participate. In this episode, Scott joins me to share the lessons that led him to this approach and breaks down how you can begin to look at business continuity in a different light, achieving traditional directives without getting bogged down in traditional methods. But first, what's the biggest lesson of Scott's career? Take a listen.
1: When I started Business Continuity, I worked for Charles Schwab, which of course is a financial institution. They're very regulated. And the regulation comes in context of auditors that come in and make sure that the, the program is following best practices, standards, etc. So therefore, Business Continuity programs are very closely aligned with ISO twenty three and FFIC standards, etc. It's just the way they do it is very much in step, very tightly coupled with best practices and standards. So that's how I learned business continuity was through a financial institution, learning this very dogmatic approach to business continuity planning, which is great. I learned a lot, but over time I went from Schwab to eBay and they asked me to run the business continuity program at eBay after the PayPal split. So I started developing a program at eBay like I had been taught. And I quickly realized it became very clear to me that traditional BCDR is not super scalable, and what I mean by that traditionally, the way people run these programs are you have a central group and they go out, they have a, a, a schedule, January through December. You go and you would approach different departments and you make sure that they are, you know, have their plans and their exercises, and you do that all year, and then come January you start over, and that's basically how a lot of these programs work. The problem is it's not scalable at all. If you cannot do the whole enterprise in that 12 months, you have to hire more people in order to do that. And then additionally, if any schedule and if anything happens, anything comes up, an actual incident or some kind of unexpected event occurs, it puts you off and you're always behind and you're always trying to catch up. And I've yet to work a year where something hasn't happened. It's just a very difficult program to be successful with. So, looking back at my software development time, I studied computer science in school, and during the dot-com boom, I was actually a Java developer, where we we did something called object-oriented programming, which is a way to develop code that's reusable, so you don't have to write the same code over and over. I thought, what if we did a program, BC program, that was object-oriented, and so, we focused on building these small components that were repeatable, and it worked really well. But the, the reason why it was so profound for me was because it kind of opened a door. I realized that, wait a minute, I don't have to do things exactly the way that the standards or best practices say. It allowed me to be completely creative with the way I did my programs. Now, from that point forward, I was always trying to do things differently in a way that achieved the objectives that we were trying to achieve, but we didn't necessarily need to do the things the way that everyone else did.
0: And thinking about, you know, a specific situation for you, right? Is there a specific event in which you had to activate a program that you really kind of aha moment really learned from? What was the event? What led up to that event?
1: There hasn't been one event that's change the way that I approach resilience. Going back to kind of traditional BC program management, one of the things that I realized that we do is regardless of who we say is responsible for resilience in a company, we act typically as if it's our responsibility as as BCDR professionals. So what that means is we may say, yeah, every group is responsible for their own BCDR, but then when it comes down to it, Who are the people who are pushing for the plans, pushing for the exercises, et cetera? And that is typically us, the central group. One thing I realized was that if we could switch it around, so traditionally we go and we almost go to each group and say, please, can we have some of your time so we can do your business continuity planning? And we always approaching them and they see us coming and they kind of roll their eyes like, oh, no, not you guys again. And the engagement we were getting was very not great. So what, what I did was I was able to get the ownership completely in the uh, business side. So I would go to the VPs. First of all, I get the policy changed or really strongly worded that says all resiliency is the responsibility of the business owners completely. And I would take that and I would go to the VP and I would say, if anything happens, this is on you. You're You're completely responsible for this. And they would get flustered and say, we don't know how to do that, et cetera. And I said, well, I'll help you. If you give me somebody to train, I will train and certify that person, and then you'll be fine. And what happened is instead of us going to that department and asking, hey, will you help us do your business continuity? Now we have the VP telling somebody you need to work with enterprise resilience. And so I'd have someone coming to me and saying, hey, Scott, please, can you train me how to do this? Because I have to do this new job. I don't know how to do it. So it completely changed the engagement, the dynamics of that relationship, where we are then helping them. And instead of them rolling their eyes and being upset that we were coming to approach them, they're now grateful for our help. How this connects to your question is, I remember the first time that we had a building that had a facade, there was a lot of rain, and the facade came down and, you know, made the entrance dangerous. And I did not hear about that incident until that group had proactively pulled their plan out gone to their lo- the hotel location, which was their backup location, set everything up, and we're back online. And then they let me know, hey, Scott, by the way, I want to let you know that we had this incident and this happened. And the cool thing was, it was like one of my first certified people that was embedded in the business that actually ran with that. And that's when I knew, like, holy cow, this actually works. By giving these people ownership, training, responsibility, it, it works. They, they followed their plan to the T
0: how is that influencing at the executive management level? Is it still the kind of top-down approach, or how did you gauge them at the executive level and and then also knowing that you're having the departments take a lot of ownership of the plans and programs?
1: It's amazing. It's a game-changer. It's no longer at the executive level people looking at resilience if things are not up to par, right? So we just provide a report, a roll-up report, to each executive showing how they're doing and they're looked at during those meetings, those quarterly meetings where we're looking at business continuity or disaster recovery, compliance or whatever you want to call it. We are part of the group now looking at the executives saying, you're not doing your work. You're not doing your job as when it comes to resilience. So it's been a game changer from that perspective.
0: So looking back on your scenario, I'm curious to know What you would say to your younger self, how would you prioritize things differently? Is there a different approach you would have taken earlier on in your career?
1: Yeah. Every time I interview or if I start a new job, I find out specifically exactly why is this program in place? Because that's the most important thing, not how it's done, but the purpose. Is it for regulatory purposes? Is it because there's a specific thing they want to be ready for? Is it just general resilience? There is no one correct way to do it. There are the best way for the culture and for the organization and for the objectives. And if I had known that earlier in my career, I think I could have been more effective earlier in identifying maybe a better way of making the organization prepared. So there is no single way. Even though we when we get certified, we learn about the BCM life cycle and we learn about all these kind of this is best practices – in reality, that's not the case. You know, you need to see what the purpose is.
0: So looking at your younger self, what would you tell people that are just coming into this profession?
1: Don't get stuck on the, the way things are supposed to be done. Best practices are just suggestions, so to speak. You know, I, I don't believe that you have to follow best practices. They don't necessarily provide you the correct results for the, the context you may be in. So feel free to be creative. Feel free to like think outside the box. Now that everything is so distributed, the cloud is here, there's international organizations that have buildings everywhere, I don't think the traditional disasters are going to be the thing that, that's the most dangerous anymore. Like natural disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, those kind of things. I really think the things that could knock us out are, are cyber events. And so looking to integrate resilience with cyber readiness, I think is the future of, of where we're going as a discipline. And so I guess I would tell people, don't look at the traditional look, look ahead, see how you can integrate resilience with more of a cyber flavor to it.
0: One of our studies looks at how executives are involved in the program for what the different events and the, the weather related events they feel pretty good about, right? But looking forward, it is those those larger scale events when you think about COVID and how that impacted the entire globe and being the largest human disaster. But then to your point, a cyber event can easily just knock out a, an organization and, and it's really kind of what comes next, right?
1: The one thing I think is interesting is we are at, I think, a crossroads. We've been at a crossroads in our discipline for a few years now. And I think the whole term enterprise resilience or organizational resilience is an interesting one. When it came out, I don't think it spoke to a specific change in the way we do things, the way we think about things. It was more, I think, almost an existential call that we needed to change without knowing exactly how to change. But I believe that traditional BCM is really focused on recovery. So our BIA talks about recovery time objective, our business continuity plan and recovery plan. How do we recover? Validation exercise talks about recovering from a disaster. Problem is those are all things that are 40 years old. Those are things from old data center times. And now more and more executives are just, they don't have an appetite for recovery. Their appetite is for availability. And the problem is our traditional planning process does not even if we include availability in it, it doesn't speak the language of availability. It speaks the language of recovery. And people, I think, going forward and and currently, that return on investment is not something that I think a lot of organizations can palette. So when we, we talk about resilience, I think we need to focus on availability and responsiveness as opposed to recovery. And even if we are doing availability and responsiveness in our programs, we're not speaking the right language. We're not getting that story out. And that's really where we need to focus going forward if we want to have a perceived value as well as an actual value.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on our show. And how can listeners get a hold of you if they'd like to learn more or reach out to you and connect?
1: LinkedIn is probably the best way. You know, I love talking with other practitioners. I learned so much from talking to people. So I'm always open to setting up a time to chat with people if they have ideas or just want to talk.
0: Thanks for listening to Business Interrupted. I'm Cheyenne Merling for this Leaders episode. To get more insights and resources, check out the show notes or head over to castellonbc.com and follow along wherever you get your audio.